0: Hello? Is it working here? Well, it's um, Team Barton again this morning. Um, I haven't got a practical demonstration, and you might be quite glad because I'm going to refer to circumcision. <laughs> 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 <Did you volunteer>? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just It's just something brief, and it's just something that really grabbed me a couple of weeks ago when I was reading in Joshua. Um, The background is that the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan and um, Joshua was now their leader. And God had said to Joshua that the second generation men needed to be circumcised because the original ones um, had died in the wilderness and it was reinstating circumcision. And, um, of course, circumcision is, is talking about covenant and so with all these thoughts are going through my head. And you know, we've been going through this idea of covenant and making our covenant. And it just struck me that um, when Joshua told the men about they had to be circumcised, they didn't turn around and say, well, that's a bit barbaric or I, I don't know about that. I think I'll go and talk to my mum about it or read up about it and see, is that really what they did? Um, it says in here in Joshua 5 verse 8, it says, So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. And it was the next verse particularly that jumped out at me. Because it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And that just really spoke to me that that collective act of obedience in making covenant and God rolled away their reproach And they then became a people on the offensive instead of on the defensive. And God was with them. And it was just shortly after that, um, in verse 13 of chapter 5, it says um, that the commander of the Lord appeared to Joshua. And it was like, and and he said, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. And it's like they'd moved from a place of being um, hounded to a place of now God was with them and he was going to fight their battles and then um, and then it's, 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 it's after that that they go and defeat Jericho by God's means, not by, by their might but by God's means that God was with them and he was fighting their battles and I just thought I think it's a really relevant thing because I know that there are battles going on um, and If we, perhaps one of the keys is if we take covenant seriously, take unity seriously, and those two things will help us see God fight for us. So that was basically it.
1: Great. I'm going to move in the middle. Everyone see me? I still feel distant. I'd rather go down there, but will that be a problem? (laughs) Good. Um, You might see from the leaflet that uh, the topic is... um, What does it say is the topic? Anyone got a leaflet? There's a time to be silent. Um, There's other ways of putting it, but they were too uh, blunt to put on the front of the leaflet. Like, sometimes God says, shut up. Um, But I didn't want to put that on the front. (laughs) But I want to talk about faith, speech, and Jericho. And it's following on from what Chris has said, uh, which wasn't kind of planned that way. It just seems to be why it is, which is why I've encouraged her to share it as well. Um, But first of all, just as an aside, um, just to say that the the leadership, uh, Marky, Dave, and I met last, uh, two weeks ago now, to look at our roles and the way things are going, because we've been in place now for six months, and we just wanted to review it. And uh, we're also doing staff reviews at the moment. And so, if we can flag up the first thing. For those of you who do staff reviews, you're probably aware of this acronym, SMART. OK, do you all know that one? It goes, um, here we go. Yeah, if you keep logging them up. SMART means that in, in reviewing someone and then setting goals, they've got to be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bounded. OK? Um, There's a church in London that looked at that and thought, okay, that's good in the workplace. There's another way of looking at it, and it's, let's be thick, okay, thick goals. Listen to these, terrifying, heart-rending, impossible, Christ-centered, and (laughs) kingdom-orientated. Hallelujah, I like it. I want us to be a thick people. (laughs) Get me right, you understand that. If you're listening on the web, whoa, don't misunderstand me. And one of the things that we've uh, we've been talking about as a leadership is what's our role and what are we doing. And we're very much taking from Ephesians where it says, to prepare people, God's people, for works of service, that we, the body of Christ, may be built up till we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God had become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And uh, it kind of links in to, I think, what I want to say. Now, my question today is this. Why were the people of God commanded to be silent when they walked around Jericho? You want to know the story? We'll come to it later. We'll read out a bit more. But they walked for seven days in silence around Jericho. Why did they have to do it in silence? And what can we learn from that? But I want to start by looking at a whole overview, if you like. So we start in Genesis. Um, Well, I'm starting in Genesis. And it says in Genesis, ten times God said. And when God said something, it happened. So God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be seas and the waters and so on. When God said it, It happened. And apparently the... um, You'll have to correct me. No, you won't be correcting me, I don't think. But talk to me afterwards if I've got it wrong or I'm misinterpreting. But I understand that the, the Hebrew for the word word, okay, is dabar. And apparently you can't translate it directly into English in one word. Because it means word and deed, So God's word is not an academic thing. It's not just something on a page. It's word and deed. So when God says something, it happens. And in the New Testament, we have two words, don't we? Logos and Rima. And again, there's a sense of when God says something, something happens. Okay? Okay? And uh, there's a lady, Alison Morgan, she's written some excellent stuff. She was was a linguist. She studied at Cambridge, did her PhD on Italian and theology or something like that. Anyhow, heard her speak. And she uh, she said it's very hard to translate John 1, for example, in the beginning was the word. And the, the, the translation she most likes, although it may not be strictly, strictly accurate, but it's hard to translate it, is in the beginning was the verb. Did you get that? In the beginning was the verb because there's something active about it. There's something that happens when God speaks. So we start in Genesis chapter one. God said, and it was. But very soon after that, in chapter three, we have something else coming into the equation. And the devil says, Has God said? That's the first thing he says. Has God said? What's he saying? Or this serpent? What's being said? It's, can you really trust what God says? Will it happen? Does it happen? Is he trustworthy? And to me, that is the question that faces us on a daily basis in our lives. (laughs) All through scripture, you see that this is the great question, the great battle, the great pondering that goes on from the start to finish of, of our Bible. God says, has God said? And that's the challenge for me today. And I, I, I intend to be challenging today because God's challenging me. So if I'm offending you, please forgive me. Um, but God's really challenged me at one point. So you're, that'll come to later, I think. So I'm asking the question again. Why were the people of God commanded to be silent when they walked around Jericho? So the story of Jericho... Um, It was around 1400 BC. I think it's it's really interesting, isn't it? If you get your Bible and just look at the the period between um, leaving Egypt, okay, and then entering into the Promised Land in uh, in Joshua, it's 16% of pages of the Old Testament to cover 40 years of history. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? There must be something really important about that. you read in Kings or Chronicles and it said so-and-so king lived for so-and-so years and you might get a sentence about 40 years of history. But this page of history has 16% of the Old Testament and that includes the Psalms and Proverbs and all the prophetic works and everything. It's important what's going on in this phase. Why is it important? Because it's talking about things that we need to hear about and we need to learn from because actually it affects all of us. So, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, which I'm going to read out, what was God saying? Okay? So, I'm going to be talking from Joshua. What was God saying? This is what it says in Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land that I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Not one, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Powerful, strong exhortations there from God himself to Joshua. Lots of promises. So God said, go into the land I'm about to give them. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised to Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be careful to obey. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I said, be strong and courageous. Three times God said, be strong and courageous. God said it. Don't let the book of the law out of your mouth. I think that's really interesting. I think that means you eat it and you speak it. This book It's tragic, isn't it, how we're minimizing the Bible. We think, well, we'll read about the Bible or we'll study something else and ask John Lyons. He'll tell you about this stuff. (laughs) But we need this Word. We need this Word. It's the Word of God. And it's our life. And it's living. It's not just academic. It's not just stories. It's alive. And when I'm discouraged and feeling rough and fed up, Getting back to this, somewhere in Scripture, it reminds me of who God is and who I am and what it's all about. It's about realignment. Please, I want to encourage us, keep coming back to Scripture. (laughs) Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it, that Moses had this face to face relationship with God and God talked to him as a man to a friend. And he he was told to write everything down in the book. And that was Moses' role. So he wrote everything down in the book. And it was called the law, wasn't it? And then Joshua comes along. And it's slightly different now. God speaks to Joshua. But what God's saying to Joshua is, it's in the book. You've got it all. Nothing new. It's all there. Now all you've got to do is do it. And I'll encourage you, but do it. And it's the same for us today, isn't it? We seem to think we've got to get some blinding new revelation or some fantastic new idea about who God is. It's in the book. <laughs> it's given to us. This wonderful text, this God-breathed text, it's there. It's there. And it's enough for us to take us into all that God's promising. Hmm. Now, in Joshua 2, it says this. Then Joshua secretly sent two spies from Shittim saying, go look over the land, especially Jericho. And then I thought to myself, how interesting. I've read that somewhere before, haven't I? (laughs) That they sent spies into the land. And sure enough, it's there, isn't it? We go back 40 years to when they first got to this place on Jordan and needed to go into the land. And we read about it in Numbers 13 and 14, the last attempt to enter the land. This was just a short period after God had brought the whole nation through the Red Sea after 400 years in slavery by a complete, amazing, unbelievable, you've never thought it was possible, miracle. We all read about it and it's a nice story, isn't it? But after 400 years in slavery, God did something unimaginable. And he brought a whole nation out of complete slavery through the Red Sea and saying, now, there you go, into the promised land. Amazing. And they saw all their enemies washed up, finished. <laughs> Amazing. Chapter 13 of Numbers, we read this. And the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, God said. From each tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out. Now, I want you to note, they were not told to go and assess whether it was possible to take the land. They were asked to go and look at it. So Moses said to them, go through the Negev to the hills, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in, is it good, is it bad, what sort of towns do they live in, how's the soil, are there trees? That's what they were asked to do, okay? And they went and they saw, and they saw abundance, everything was big, I think there must have been small people, <laughs> everything was big, the people were big, the grapes were big, And I still can't imagine this cluster of grapes, one cluster of grapes that had to be carried on a pole between two men. That's phenomenal, isn't it? But the people were big. There were giants there. And they came back, these spies, 12 of them, they came back and they said this. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live along the sea near the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession, for we can certainly do it. But the men who got up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those are living in it. The people we saw of great size. We saw the Nephilim and so on and so on and so on. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. And those ten spies who said that prevented the whole nation entering into God's promises. That's sobering, isn't it? Ten men came back with unbelief and prevented a whole nation entering into God's promises. They were God's promises, weren't they? He had said. He had said. And all night, it says in Numbers 14... Members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud, and the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us us to this land to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. It would be better to go back to Egypt. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back. Incredible. Why is God doing this, was their question. When God had said... Go in and do it. And they blamed God for their own unbelief. What went wrong? These ten spread among the Israelites a bad report. I think I've mentioned before, I've done it here twice, I think, this little exercise that we've done occasionally when we started a service, where we start by putting our hands together I'm just saying, now be quiet (laughs) and listen to God. Just (laughs) shut up. And then you can enter into worship. Psalm 31 says, let the lying lips be silent. (laughs) And if you read Psalm 39, it's a good psalm for you to read, perhaps, when you go home. Because it's an agonizing psalm. The psalmist is really struggling with life. He's got huge issues that he's trying to deal with. And it starts by saying this. I said, I'll watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I'll put a muzzle on my mouth. (laughs) But he did pour it out to God, which is wonderful. I hope he didn't go around blabbing to other people. I don't think he did. (laughs) Maybe that's what made David such a great man that he took his complaints and his concerns and his heart-rending thoughts to God himself and not to the bloke next to him. You see, your tongue carries power. Um, Because I've got time, I'm going to read the start of a poem. Of course, it's only half past (laughs) ten. For those listening on the web, they haven't changed the clock here yet. Okay, this is an old um, Stanley Holloway monologue. I'm only going to read the first verse. Stanley Holloway, he was about the 1940s, and uh, he just used these, he was a northerner. I should get Richard to read it, really, but he hasn't seen the words, so it wouldn't be fair. But this is how it starts, okay? I've been very poorly, but now I feel prime. I've been out today for the very first time. I felt like a lad as I walked down the road. Then I met old Jones, and he said, well, I'm blowed. My word, you do look ill. My word, you do look ill. Oh dear, you look dreadful. You've had an ear shave. You look like a man with one foot in the grave. I said, no, I'm better. It's true, I've been ill. He said, I'm delighted you're better, but still, I'd wish you a thousand for me and your will. My word, you do look ill. And I won't read the whole thing. But he comes across three other characters who say the same thing, and he ends up feeling like he's dead. Until in the end, he meets someone who says, hey, you look well. And suddenly it all lifts again. <laughs> and it just demonstrates the power of words, doesn't it? Um, someone came into the office at Network. There's the somebody who does, uh, she works opposite me in, in the little office upstairs. And she does the bookkeeping. And as she came to the door, I said, hey, great to see you. And she said, oh, you've, how encouraging, you know. <laughs> it's like what you're saying, Caroline. We can, by our words and our actions, we can bring huge encouragement. They're powerful. Right. Um, interesting. In James, uh, I was looking at James today. It mentions Rahab, so it's a nice little link to Joshua there. I thought that was nice. Um, but it starts with, "Count it joy when you face trials, because you know that the testing of faith produces patience." And then it goes on to say, "If you lack wisdom," it talks about having faith without doubt. It talks about dealing with temptation. It says, uh, "Be swift to hear." and slow to speak, which is interesting. But the whole context of James, uh, by the way, he had a a nickname of old camel knees, apparently. Old camel knees, because he was such a prayer. Isn't that nice? (laughs) Um, Don't look at my knees. Count it joy when you face trials. When James was writing, he recognized that life is difficult. It's tough. And he deals with really real issues, doesn't he? temptation, how you view other people, uh, people come into your presence and they, they smell, you know, ordinary, everyday life things. But in the middle of it is the whole section on the tongue, isn't there? And he says the tongue is like a rudder, and it can direct the whole ship. I just think it's so interesting that it's in the context of life is tough. Maybe camel knees can teach us something. Of course, primarily, James is about faith. And faith and word, they can be linked. So, back to my question. Why were the people of God commanded to be silent when they walked around Jericho? God had said, you're going in. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and good courage. And then in chapter 3, we read about the going in through Jordan towards Jericho, and it says this, Joshua said, come, listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you'll know the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jemuzites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. I find that's Wonderful. It's all because God has done things already, that we can do anything. The God of all the earth has already been this place. He's gone through it, hasn't he? Now choose twelve men. And... As soon as the priests, uh, 12 men from the tribes of Israel, for one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in Jordan, its waters flowing downstream were cut off and stood up as a heap. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap at a distance away at a town called Adam. I find that so interesting. It's the only time that that town is mentioned in the whole of Scripture. And what a name. Adam. They had to cross this Jordan. And the water stopped flowing because it was finished at Adam. Something about all that was coming down to prevent them going forward. It was finished at Adam. And you can actually translate the words there. It stopped flowing as it failed. It was cut off. And I think... When Jesus was on the cross and he cried, it is finished, he dealt with Adam. (laughs) Finished. The Lord of all the earth has been here, you know. (laughs) And they passed over. Right, I want to read a bit from Joshua chapter 6 now. Um, Would someone else like to read it? Because I've done a lot of talking. Anyone volunteer? Yeah, Richard? let get your mic. I'll use this one. Uh, chapter 6, verses 2 to 5, and then 10 to 16. Is that going to confuse you? No.
2: All right. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once. With all the armed men, do this six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. And then... But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the Ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the Ark of the Lord The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city.
1: Why did they have to be quiet for those seven days? And what was it like? They had an impregnable city to take. Uh, Jericho, uh, it was a fortress town. The walls were really thick. You could ride a chariot round on the top, apparently. It was impossible for this crew on the ground to take a city like that. But God had said, you're to take this city. And while they walked round, I wonder what they were thinking. But they weren't allowed to talk to anyone else about it. They just had to walk round. Now I don't know what they were thinking. I guess if I was one of them, I'd be thinking, "This is stupid. This is crazy. How on earth is anything going to happen here? It's impossible. Can't happen. Can't happen." Back to camp that night. Up again in the morning. This is stupid. What on earth are we doing this for? How could this happen? Back to camp that night. Third night, I wonder what Jones thinks. I'll bet he thinks the same. I'll see if I can catch his eye. I'm not allowed to say a thing. This is crazy. What are we doing? Back to camp that night. I wonder what was going on. But I wonder if the trumpet sounding meant something to them. I don't know. Maybe that's... And the priests were in front of them. And the Ark of the Covenant was going round. Maybe during those days they began to think, I wonder, God may be true to his word. I wonder if faith began to rise in their hearts because they were waiting. You know the word to wait on God in the Old Testament? It's not a passive word to wait. When I wait for Chris, it's passive. Actually, it's frustrating. When you wait on God, the word means to wait with expectancy. Hmm. So it's not getting on your knees and saying, oh God. uh, mm." It's, God, I'm here for you because you're true. What are you doing? To wait with expectancy. And I wonder if during these days, I don't know, we don't know, do we? Maybe one day we'll find out. Whether during this time, because they weren't allowed to sow seeds of unbelief through their talking, but they were waiting with expectancy, through trumpet, through ark, through promise, they began to put their faith back in God again. I wonder. And it's as if God was saying, I will not allow what you did before to happen again. I will not allow Numbers 13 and 14 to repeat itself. You're not allowed to talk. Because I am God, and I'm going to do this. Okay? One of the reasons I'm saying this is because uh, I can't remember exactly what the service was, but it's, it's over a month. It was before I went to Bulgaria with Marquis. A couple of weeks before then, I think it was. And I got up in the morning. I think I've shared it briefly here before, but I, I had absolutely no faith about the Sunday morning that morning. Uh, I was leading. I can't remember who was preaching, and I can't remember who was playing in the band or anything, which is probably a good thing. But I had absolutely no faith. I didn't have any faith the night before. I had no faith when I got up in the morning. I just thought, help. I'm leading, and I really don't want to do it. Um, but I'm obliged And God said to me, how dare you? Shut up. And I felt really rebuked, actually, which is why I'm being a bit strong now, because God really rebuked me. And said, what's it got to do with you, what you think? You do as you're told. And if you haven't got faith for it, someone else may have, or maybe I have. But it's nothing to do with you. You just do as you're told. And I came that morning with a very um, feeling quite, how do I do this? But I stood at the front here and I started the service thinking, I'm just going to do as I'm told. I'm not going to give a hint as to how I feel or anything. Because God is God. And he'll do what he wants to do. I'll just override my feelings. And just be obedient. And I gather after the service, some people really felt they'd met with God that day. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect in this at all. <laughs> but that so spoke to me and so rebuked me and so encouraged me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to a conference recently as well where um, there was a speaker and he spoke, he was doing three sessions. And after the second session, there were some guys in front of me and they were, they were losing interest. It was a Christian conference, ministers actually. And they started doing stuff on their mobiles, you know, getting in touch with people, and stuff like that. And, uh, and in the end, I heard them saying to each other, oh, don't get much out of this, I think we'll miss the third one. And neither of them came to the third one. I felt so grieved. I really did feel grieved. So I thought, gosh, and we're ministers. We're all ministers, actually. What does God think of that? And actually, the third session was great, because it made sense of the other two. And I thought that was really tragic. And I just think we've got to be so, so careful. Um, Mark is going to speak, actually, in a few weeks' time on consumerism <laughs> or individuality and that kind of thing. It's a big thing for us, isn't it? We're in a world where my, my thoughts count. It reminds me of those scriptures in, in Judges and Deuteronomy, isn't it? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And, and it's true of the whole of our society, our whole culture. If you think it, it's okay. There's no sense of truth. But actually, God is who he is, whether we like it or not. So we're better off aligning with him, really. But it takes discipline sometimes. It takes what's called taking up your cross daily. (laughs) It takes obedience. So... If God hasn't spoken to you and you haven't got the faith, be quiet. Just obey. If you start to talk and speak unbelief, I believe you and I are in grave danger. When we face great challenges, we must not allow our lips to speak words of unbelief. Words can bind up and they can set free. The people of God at Jericho had to be silent until they saw the salvation of God. Now, we can't help what we see, and we can't help what we hear, but we can refuse to speak doubt and fear. And if we do that, we'll be more inclined to accept what God can do than what we cannot do. Do you get that? We need to learn, I need to learn, how we speak to each other, how to wait on God. And just because I can't see a way forward or an answer, that doesn't mean that someone else can't see it. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. But I plead with you, watch your tongue. And let's accept what God can do and not what we can't. Because that, to me, is what this life, a lot of this life is about. God has said, has God said. It repeats itself. (laughs) For me, anyway. So we started in Genesis. So Genesis started with that question. And isn't it interesting that straight into the New Testament, we get the same question in Luke chapter 1. When the angel appeared to Zacharias who didn't believe what God said, so God said, right, you're not going to speak for nine months. I don't think that's a coincidence. You'll be silent then, till you see the salvation of God. Faith comes by hearing, we're told. Isn't it great to speak words of faith to each other? Isn't it great? It's wonderful. So beware of the opposite. Psalm 19 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. The words of my mouth. And I'm not, please don't think that I'm standing here saying, this is what I've learnt. Now listen up, everybody. (laughs) I think we need each other in this. Because we might well get it wrong. I'm just sharing what God told me. You'll have to remind me, perhaps. <laughs> I mentioned earlier about Ephesians. I read that the first time when we were talking about the leadership. But it says this, doesn't it? Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor in Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace To those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Hmm. Let's be encouraged that if we can't understand what God's doing, wait on Him and listen out for people who've got faith. Let's watch our words. Let's be a covenant of people together. (laughs) And that's part of it, isn't it? Being real and honest and saying, God, your salvation is true. What you say is true. You love people and you want to set them free. And that's our job, isn't it? To tell people just that and see them free. Hmm. I think I'll finish there. But I might just pray first. Is that okay? this stuff you've spoken to me, and I've shared it, and some of it may not be very relevant to some people, other bits will. But what I do pray is, Lord, that your word would take root in my heart this morning and the hearts of my friends here. That we trust you and see you accomplish great and marvelous things that way exceed our expectations, but are true to your nature and your word and your promises. You've gone before us, Lord, and made a way. We follow you.
0: Amen.